A good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falk It Around podcast. Hope you're having a good Wednesday afternoon. I certainly am. Just finished taping the press box for this coming weekend. Always a pleasure to work with my friends, Tariq Spence, Pat Duffy. Good stuff. Check it out this weekend for sure, especially if you're a Yankee, Bills, Nets, any other sports fan. It'll be entertaining to say the least. Today we've got football, baseball, a little bit of basketball, certainly going to hit on the Sabres as well. So I want to start with last Sunday, Bills getting the win over the Texans. And this was a win that was expected. And, and it's hard when you're a young team, which the Bills really are, a young team learning to become a really good team. They went to the AFC Championship last year, but it's still different now that they're the hunted. Go into a game being a 17-point favorite, looking ahead the following week, rematch of that AFC Championship game. It's a tough psychological week because, yes, you've got to take care of business. At the same time, the following week is going to determine whether or not you're likely going to be home during the playoffs. And that's really, really important, especially I think more so this year because the playoffs are a week later. They go to late January, early February, where you could be hosting a home game. It's going to be an interesting time in the playoffs and having a home game late January in Buffalo. We all know the weather in Western New York and what it can be. I think that's a huge advantage for the Bills. So this Sunday will be very important. Last Sunday was important for the Bills to handle their business. And I thought early on the defense made sure that was going to happen. If you watch the game, and you know, no, no, no big deal that the Bills have had their second shutout in four games. They are playing very good defensively against bad football teams. Taking advantage of a young quarterback. Getting the pass rush on the day they had four sacks. You get a sack from Boogie Basham. Carlos Basham was a second-round pick this year. Hadn't even dressed for the first three games of the year. Gets in this this week against Houston and gets game action and gets a sack. I think it's really important that that happened. Tremaine Edmonds today on Wednesday was named AFC Player of the Week. He was so good last week. Had an interception, six tackles. Edmonds looks like the player the Bills drafted him to become. For the first three years, I thought he is, he's been hesitant, thinking, not always just instinctively making plays. This year, much more so, he is making plays. So I think it's a good thing to watch him develop as a player. The secondary was very good last week as well. And let's face it, this was a weather game. And and you don't often get weather games in September and early October. But this was one. As the season goes along, you're going to see more weather games. And I think it's important that the Bills' defense is able to stop the run. They did so Sunday against Houston. Again, Houston isn't a very good offensive team. They had been playing good defense coming in, but not very good offense. By the way, this is where I should remind you that one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the league is still on the Houston roster. The Houston team is paying him 
tens of millions of dollars to not play. Weird situation with Deshaun Watson, but it is what it is. They're apparently playing for a draft pick this year because if they wanted to win games, Deshaun Watson, who is not suspended by the league or the team, would be out there performing. It didn't happen. The Bills, they started off offensively a little rough. The first pass, the first play, Josh Allen throws an interception. And you look at that and you think, how are how are they going to mess this up? It's a wet ball. It's 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 tough conditions to throw in. But the first pass was a terrible throw by Josh Allen. Fortunately, he was able to overcome that. He was able to get things turned around. And Allen actually finished with a pretty good day. 20 of 29, 248 yards. Two touchdown passes, both to Dawson Knox. This was the fourth game of the year. So let's let's look at Josh through the first quarter of the season. I know it's not truly a quarter because this is the 17th week. But through the first quarter of the season, this was a good game. He's had a great game against Washington. And the first two games of the year, Pittsburgh and Miami, were just okay and maybe even not that close to okay. They weren't really good. There's always going to be a hyper-focus on Josh Allen and how he plays. This Sunday's game is, to me, one of the biggest games of Josh's career. You can explain away last year's Chiefs regular season loss, didn't play well in that game. He was inexperienced in the big game thing. I think you can explain that one away. Similarly, first AFC Championship game, the Chiefs had a lot of momentum going defensively, great pass rush. Then things kind of spiraled on Josh. You could explain that one away. This Sunday, the Chiefs are playing bad defensive football. They have not been able to generate a pass rush. They have not been able to get to quarterbacks. They're giving up a lot of points. This Sunday, Josh Allen needs to play well. So while you can break down the first quarter, to me, this next game is the most important game Josh Allen will play all year long. And I mean mean that sincerely. I don't care the rest of the regular season. This game against Kansas City, he needs to come up big and, and make a statement performance. The thing that can help him is Brian Dable continuing to grow the running game against Houston, a, a perfect situation where you have to run the ball. Wet weather, big lead, inferior opponent, run the football. And both Devin Singletary and Zach Moss got 14 carries. Singletary, 79 yards. Moss, 67 and a TD. Josh also contributed 41 yards on the ground. The Bills ran the ball exceedingly well behind a makeshift offensive line, if you will. John Feliciano was out because of concussion. Right guard, Cody Ford, has been a problem all year long. And it's interesting, when you lose a guard and you have to replace him, Ike Boker gets the the nod there, you think, well, you're not going to shake up the right side of the offensive line because the left side has already been rearranged, if you will. But the Bills did just that. And I don't know if it's because of what they had seen in 
Spencer Brown, the new right tackle in practice, or if it's what they've seen from Cody Ford during games or a combination of the two. But moving Daryl Williams into the guard position from tackle, Spencer Brown, the rookie starting at right tackle, was a hit and miss in my opinion. Spencer Brown was very good. Daryl Williams was not very good. If Feliciano's back this week, I think Boker gets a start at right tackle or right guard, and I think you have a tandem situation where Brown and Williams split time at right tackle. I I think that's something to look for this week because Brown played well enough against Houston to show he belonged and he can play, but I think the experience of Williams gives them a little something there. So something to keep an eye on. This week as well. Stefan Diggs had a nice day against the Texans. Seven catches, 114 yards. And Emmanuel Sanders becoming a very big part of the offense for the second week in a row. 74 yards on five catches. So really good ball distribution by the Bills offense and Josh Allen. Again, this is going to be interesting this week. I got to go with one more thing before I talk about the coming week. Because... I hate kickers, all right? For me to talk nice about a kicker takes a lot. And I don't like kickers who wear only one eye black because it's just, what's your point, dude? But Tyler Bass has been really good this year. Tyler Bass was good last year as a rookie. Tyler Bass has been really good this year. Four for four in bad weather on Sunday, and that's important. Again, as the season goes along, you're going to face bad weather kicks Tyler Bass was 4-4 on field goals on Sunday, 4-4 extra points for the season now. He's 9-10 field goals on the season and 14-14 at extra points. He's only missed one kick all year long. And I think that's something, again, the three very important parts of of the football team, special teams being the third. And if you've got a kicker who can handle his business and do his job, It goes a long way, especially at the end of games in the playoffs or in close games, big games, where you need that kick. We saw it against with New England and Tampa. You need somebody to make that kick. I think Tyler Bass has become that guy, so something certainly to keep an eye on there. This Sunday, quick preview of the Chiefs-Bills game. The Bills have to make a decision, and when I say have to make a decision – Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator, tried two different things last year in the two games they played against the Chiefs. The first game, they decided, we are going to let you run the football all day if you choose to, but you're not beating us through the air. Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are not going to get open. And this week, you can add the name Josh Gordon to that list that includes McCall Hardman as well. So what do you do? Last year in the first game, they decided to let them rush, run the football if Kansas City so choose. Playing nickel and dime coverages pretty much exclusively throughout the game. Well, it happened that Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the Chiefs' second-year running back last year as a rookie, had his best game of his rookie year, 161 yards on the ground in that game. So that's big. This year, Alaire's got 200-yard games, and he hasn't had a ton of carries. So the Chiefs, while their offensive line hasn't been great, has been good enough to let Alaire get loose, and he's shown progress in his second year as a back and becoming a factor. 
Do the Bills choose that? And it must be noted, in that regular season game, the Bills had the ball on a last possession with a chance to tie it up, even though they got their asses kicked up front all day long by the Chiefs' offensive line in the running game. In the playoffs, McDermott and Frazier opted for a different approach. They played soft zone coverage. And in doing so, and not jamming receivers off the line of scrimmage, it led to a big day for both Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. Kelsey in particular, 13 catches, 118 yards, and a pair of touchdowns. Tyree Kill, 9 catches for 176 yards. So the Bills tried two different approaches in each of the games. Kansas City, who is as multiple as any team in the league, took what the Bills' defense gave them and used it against them and won both games. So what do the Bills do this time? And I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that the Bills now have a bunch of young pass rushers that they could put on the field and hopefully create some pressure with a front four. Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison last year were asked to provide almost all of the pressure. This year, Gregory Russo has been out there a lot. A.J. Appenensa has had some very good games. Look at the Miami game in particular with the pass rush. Boogie Basham this past week. Can these young guys and a better Ed Oliver, along with Starla Tulele in the middle, create enough pressure on Patrick Mahomes, stay disciplined, stay in their lanes, keep him in the pocket to not allow him to get outside and make those crazy throws downfield to guys like Hill and Kelsey? I'm very intrigued to see what style of play McDermott and Leslie Frazier choose defensively offensively. And again, I said it already. This is the most important game of Josh Allen's career. Last year, he had the ball with a chance to tie Kansas City in the regular season. He did not come through. If the Bills choose to go back to choice one, where they allow the clock to run and Kansas City can run the ball and and, and hopefully stay in it, the Bills win the game if Josh Allen does his job well, and they score a bunch of points. The Bills came into this season knowing that they're going to win games because of their offense. Look, we're, we're a couple games into the season. They have won games not because of their offense, but because of their defense. And the offense has been complimentary, except for, I'd say, the Washington game. It's time now for the offense to step forward and play big, and Josh Allen to step forward and play big. He's gotten a lot of love, and a lot of people are on board with Josh Allen as a potential MVP candidate. He can cement that potential candidacy if he has a big game. And if not, if he doesn't play big against Kansas City, there is going to be a lot of questions about Josh Allen. Sure, you look good against bad teams. But can you beat a good team on the road? That's what great quarterbacks have done in the past. If you think of all the greats, you name the Hall of Famers that have been there. Guys like Jim Kelly or go more recent, the Tom Brady's and Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. What made those guys great, not only the home wins, but going on the road in big situations and making big plays to give them and their teams a chance to win. Let's see if Josh Allen has that in his bag of tricks this week. 
Last week, going around the league quickly, the Thursday night game was la- last week was the Jags and Bengals, and uh, we're going to watch this. Uh, I watched it and was entertained thoroughly. You've got two great young quarterbacks in Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence. The two of them put on a show. The Bengals come out on top. But the real story coming out of this game is what happened after with Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, first off, did not take the team flight back to Jacksonville from Cincinnati. That's something that just does not happen. Coaches get on the team flight. Coaches always get on the team flight. And Urban Meyer decided not to do so. Very strange, very different behavior for him. Very surprised that that was the situation. But it is what it is. And now Urban Meyer not only stays in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, but decides to go to Columbus to his own bar where he hangs out with very attractive young co-ed who wasn't his wife and pictures all over the internet of the two of them, I'll say dancing because I want to be nice about it. And Urban Meyer is in a situation where I don't know that if he's the right man for the job in Jacksonville. And the reason I say that is not because of his ability to coach, but his ability to lead a team of grown men. In college, when you're coaching college football or college basketball, guys are working to get to the next level. So you have some control over them because they need to get through you to get to the next step. And the pros, they're at the next step. These are grown men, families, lives. And if you don't lead them in a way that's truthful and genuine – then you're going to lose a lot. And word out of Jacksonville is that not only did Urban Meyer embarrass his family, and basically that's what happened. He embarrassed his family with his behavior. But when he went back to Jacksonville, he kind of blamed it off on other things and didn't stand up and take accountability for what he did, embarrassing himself in the franchise. So now players are looking at him like, This guy can't be truthful, can't be trusted. We're going to play for him. This could be over before it starts. And maybe the ultimate winner out of this situation would be USC because if Urban Meyer gets fired or decides to leave, which both are on the table at this point from Jacksonville, I think that USC should do whatever they can to give him an opportunity to rehab his image. He's a great college football coach. He's a winless NFL coach. A lot of people were skeptical if he could make the jump. He hasn't been able to make the jump, and you wonder, is there more to him leaving Columbus, Jackson, or not Jacksonville, but in Florida, in Gainesville? Are there more to those leaves of absence and then returning to coach? And by the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, the Urban Cowboy image that we're showing right now is just fantastic. The Internet at times does some great work, and I've seen very little work better than the Jacksonville Jaguars Urban Cowboy. If, you, if you're not watching on, Jag, on YouTube, Google it. You'll you'll see what what I'm talking about. Other games through the weekend. The Washington football team beat Atlanta. Get a good win late, 34-30. Thought Atlanta was going to come away with their first win of the season. Did not happen. The football team gets a win that they needed. 
But I got to ask the question. Now I like Atlanta's offense. I think they ha- still have no defense and never have in Matt Ryan's history there. What is up with the Washington football team's defense? Four number one picks on that D line. They give up 30 points almost every week. Something's off there. Something's wrong. I expected them to be a great defense. They're not even a good defense. As a matter of fact, through the first four games of the year, they've been a bad defense. The Bears get a win over the Lions. Lions are in a rebuilding mode. I don't know if they've got the right coach in Dan Campbell. They're more competitive this year than they've been in the past, but the Bears got a win with Justin Fields at quarterback going into the week. Matt Nagy, who's soon to be fired at some point, was unsure of his quarterback. There should be no question who your quarterback is. Justin Fields played well enough to get the win. And one of the most underrated players in the NFL, David Montgomery, the running back for the Bears, had 106 yards, two touchdowns. It's a really good back. The Bears have pieces in place to put around Justin Fields. I think they can win games with this kid. And I think they can win more games with Justin Fields than they can with Andy Dalton. Colts get a win over the Dolphins. Dolphins, another team that I expected much more out of. The Colts needed this win to get back on track. They got a nice day from Carson Wentz. But I think more importantly, the running back, Jonathan Taylor, gets 100 yards rushing. The offense should be run through Taylor every week. I don't know what Wentz has left at this point. Taylor's a very good back. And I know that even without Quentin Nelson, they still have a good enough offensive line to run it in Indy. Real good defensive battle between the Vikings and the Browns. Browns get the win. They Their recipe for success this year is simple. Play good defense and continue to run the ball, and Baker Mayfield, when needed, make plays. While Baker didn't make plays Sunday, had opportunities to salt the game away, did not deliver, overthrew Odell Beckham wide open late in the game, just a, a Big miss and an opportunity to put the game away. But Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt remain the best combination running backs in the league. Chubb gets 100. Hunt has 69 yards. These two are really good. The offensive line is really good. And that defense is bordering on excellent. And I'm going to tell you at the end of the recap how that defense could get better after this week. Giants get their first win of the season, go on the road and beat the Saints. The Saints are a team. I don't know what to make of them yet. They looked really good. Now, there was a sequence in Sunday's game against the Giants that I saw that I it didn't make sense to me. It, it just Sean Payton's been a great coach. His infatuation with using Taysom Hill to me is a little strange. There's a play where Jamison Winston, Jameis Winston throws a deep ball for a touchdown that's called back by penalty. Perfect throw by Jameis. Right on the money. Excellent throw. They take Jameis out, bring in Taysom Hill, run a deep play after the penalty, and he throws an interception because it was just a horrific throw. Why are you taking a quarterback out who's just made a perfect throw? He's feeling good, even though the penalty negated the play. Why are you taking him out at that point? I thought it was very poor usage in that game. 
I should be talking about Daniel Jones and what he did. A guy who I don't think will ever get the love in New York had a 400-yard passing game. They have a tough one this Sunday against the resurgent Cowboys. We'll talk about them in a minute. The Jets get their first win. Zach Wilson played really well in this one. In Tennessee, there's something going on there. They're not the team I thought they would be. Derrick Henry's still very good and had another good game on Sunday, but the defense in Tennessee, just not very good at all. Zach Wilson made a throw, by the way, in that game that's about as good of a throw as you can ask a quarterback to make. I don't know what he's going to become, but the tools are in place. Can the Jets surround him with enough talent to prevent him from going somewhere else and figuring out what he could become? The Chiefs got their win over Philly with Patrick Mahomes having five touchdown passes. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, we talked about earlier, over 100 yards for the second time this season. The offense looks really good. The downside, if you're a glass-half-full guy, just take that part. Glass-half-empty guy, the defense gave up 30 points to Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. The, The Chiefs' defense, not the same as it's been, Again, they have a chance to get better soon, too, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. The Cardinals are the lone unbeaten team in the league. Kyler Murray, 268 yards, two touchdowns. They beat the Rams in L.A. 37-20. This was a game that wasn't a game. The the Cardinals' defense is very good. Their pass rush with J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones is stout. They've got a good young secondary They're going to win games because of their offense, but they played well on Sunday and go into L.A. and get that division now is the best division in football already. But with the Cardinals, a team that many people, me included, expected to be around a 500 team and finishing in fourth, well, they may be the class of the division where it's all said and done. They're really good, and Kyler Murray's got older receivers but, man, he's using A.J. Greenwell. Of course, DeAndre Hopkins is still great. Max Williams, their tight end, was big this week. Kyler Murray's spreading it around. He's playing really good football. The 49ers took a loss to Seattle. A couple things happened in this game. Jimmy Garoppolo got dinged. Trey Lance got some time. Lance was okay. He, he threw 9 of 18 for 157. He was okay. Seattle needed this win, I think, to, to continue on where they want to go. But the question is this to me. Kyle Shanahan continues to get love as the best offensive mind in football. Although the way Arizona's playing, some people are saying it's Cliff Kingsbury. But Kyle Shanahan, people just love him as a coach. His career record is 31 and 37. He did take a team to the Super Bowl, didn't get the win. But By and large, he's been a very average at best head coach in the league. Yet, you won't find anybody on a national platform who will criticize him as being anything other than great. He is just, to me, a very average coach, a very one-dimensional coach, very much offense, not defense. Losing Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator from last year, seems to have had a little bit of an effect on that defense. They've got to get better, and again, if this is another 500 year, I don't care if it's Trey Lance rookie year or not, Kyle Shanahan's got to answer at some point. He's got to be able to produce without Jimmy Garoppolo. 
The Ravens ended Denver's unbeaten season. They hand the Broncos their first loss. Funny thing to me was at the end of this game, the Broncos were upset because the Ravens had a string of 100-yard rushing games going back a couple of years, and they wanted to keep it going. So at the end of the game, instead of kneeling down, Lamar Jackson ran off off tackle and got five yards and pushed the team total over 100 yards. The Broncos were very upset about this. Vic Fangio saying that this is unprofessional and you don't act this way. Well, I'm sorry. In professional football, you make a play. You could say you wanted them to kneel down. Well, good. I wanted them to kneel down in the first quarter, and instead they threw a touchdown pass over my head. It's professional football. You're paid to stop guys. You're paid to win games. I thought Vic Fangio came off sounding very soft by being upset that they didn't take a knee. Again, if you're in high school, college, yeah, no, you take a knee. In the pros, do whatever the hell you want. It doesn't matter what the score is. You keep playing. There is no mercy rule in professional sports. The Packers put another loss on the Steelers. And the Steelers come into this year with a defense that's good enough to win a Super Bowl. Yet, Ben Roethlisberger is just done. This is a Hall of Fame quarterback who's won two Super Bowls. But he's done. And he was done last year. I'm just shocked that the Steelers came into this year so unprepared for this situation. And I don't know that they get better anytime soon. And I don't know that Cam Newton's better than Ben Roethlisberger at this point. But you might have to try something different because Ben just isn't the answer. And if they're going to continue to run him out, Steelers will be lucky to finish 500. Remember, my preseason prediction, this is the last ride, not only for Ben, but for Mike Tomlin. And this season is progressing that way. The big game of the week, of course, was Tampa going back to New England or going to New England. Tom Brady going back to New England. A lot of emotion there. Interesting night in Foxborough on Sunday night. And I thought this. Nick Folk had a chance to be the hero. 56-yard field goal hits the upright. And people, the analytics people, thought it was a bad move for Belichick to go for that 56-yard field goal. Here's maybe why it was a really good move and a really insightful move for Belichick. When Mac Jones comes off the field, they have a chance to win the game if Nick Folk makes the kick. That's it. If he makes the kick, Mac Jones goes away a winner, beats Brady in his return to Tampa, and feels really good about himself. If Nick Folk misses a kick. Mac Jones put them in position to win that game. Feels really good about himself. If you're New England, you're trying to build something now behind Mac Jones. The psychology of going for that field goal was incredibly important, in my opinion, long-term to Mac Jones' development. It was really high-level stuff if that's what Belichick was thinking. And then again, we'll never know because he doesn't talk. Brady and Belichick had a second embrace on the field. Apparently, Belichick went into the locker room after the game. They talked for about 20 minutes after the game. Brady was okay in that night. Tough night to throw the ball. Bad weather. 269 yards. Didn't have a TD. Didn't have an interception. But in the end, Tampa got the win. Chargers beat the Raiders on Sunday night. On Monday night, I should say, Justin Herbert 
is a great young quarterback. Austin Eckler is the most underrated running back not named David Montgomery in the league. Eckler was great on Monday night. 117 yards, a touchdown receiving, and a touchdown rushing. Herbert played really well, didn't turn it over. David Carr was called out after the game by Nick Bosa. Uh, I'm sorry, Joey Bosa of the Chargers saying that once we hit him a few times, we knew he'd turtle. And if you don't think this is true about David Carr, um, Derek Carr, I should say, look at the video late in the game when he's scrambling and slides after a three-yard gain when it's third and long. He doesn't want to take a hit and get a first down. He slid. Really, really weird stuff there. The Raiders are off to a good start. They're 3-1, and one, but I thought Sunday night showed a few things that don't look great going forward. couple surprise releases the last couple days in the NFL. Yesterday, Jalen Smith, the Cowboys' defensive captain and former second-round pick out of Notre Dame, was released by the team. It's a big cap hit for Jalen Smith. They weren't able to trade him. They've got depth at linebacker. Leighton Vander Esch is in the last year of his deal. The Cowboys did not pick up his fifth-year option. He's healthy and playing pretty well. Of course, Keanu Neal comes over from the Falcons. He's back off the COVID list. He's an option that was better than Jalen Smith. Micah Parsons, the rookie linebacker from Penn State, who has been just phenomenal, is somebody who shouldn't come off the field ever. And another name, another rookie from this year's draft class, Jabril Cox out of LSU is a guy they really like. So while it's not entirely surprising that they released Jalen Smith, I thought maybe they could have potentially traded him to get a little something more from him. One other big release. The Patriots have decided to move on from... Stefan Gilmore. Now, Gilmore's a guy I thought if he's a free agent, if it's a true free agent, then Kansas City, the Rams, teams like that may get him. Late word is that the Panthers are going to pick up Stefan Gilmore for a 2023 six round pick. Last week, the Panthers reached out to Jacksonville at picked up a guy who was drafted last year to first round, C.J. Henderson, and brought him in. So they're really building up their cornerback position in Carolina. And Matt Rule and Carolina, though they lost to the Cowboys this week, that's a team that I think has a lot going on for it. Sam Darnold's playing good football. They've got a decent receiving core, decent offensive line. With Christian McCaffrey back, the offense is different. Now you keep building that defense. That's that's really good stuff in Carolina. We'll see what happens. And you know, for the Patriots, this is you're going to cut a guy essentially anyway. You get a six round pick for him. That's about as good as you could hope for with that situation. So that's the NFL news for the week. For week five coming up this week, it features a couple things. And I mentioned the Bills Chiefs. There's also a first London game. So if you're really a football crazy fan like I am, you get to watch football from nine in the morning till essentially midnight Sunday night and not do a damn thing. Get your work done earlier in the week if you have to. Last night, 
The AL wildcard game took place in Fenway. Yanks, Sox, poetic. We all saw the Bucky Dent throwback things and all sorts of discussion about the rivalry. But what was interesting to me was if you're the Yankees, you got Garrett Cole. You signed this guy for $324 million over 10 years. He's going to the hill for you. You're looking at a situation where we're going to be really good because we've got this guy going for us. And then he goes out and he doesn't last through the third inning. He doesn't get through the third inning, Garrett Cole. Xander Bogarts gets a two-run home run early, couple walks. Just not a good night for Garrett Cole. But I, I got to say this. As much as Garrett Cole showed last night, He's never going to be a New York legend. He's never going to be a guy that leads the Yankees to a championship. He'll be a guy that may win one there, but he's not going to be the reason for that. He's just not that guy. The answer was not Garrett Cole last night. It was the Yankee bats yet again. You look through the lineup, other than Giancarlo Stanton, who has been the Yankees' best player the last month of the season, They didn't have a good night. Aaron Judge, Mr. Yankee himself, had an infield single and got thrown out at the plate after that. He He's a non-factor in big at-bats. The Sunday clinching game for the Yankees was Aaron Judge's first ever walk-off hit. I was shocked by that statistic because walk-offs happen so frequently now that how is he not in four years previously had a walk-off hit. Giancarlo Stanton hit two rockets off the wall. Phil Nevin, the Yankees' third base coach, is going to take a lot of heat for sending Judge on that play. You look at it, you're forcing the Red Sox to make two great throws. They did so. Kiki Hernandez, perfect one-hop throw to Bogarts, who not only handles the one-hop, but turns and throws a strike to ex-Mac Kevin Ploiecki to put the tag on on Judge, it wasn't even close at the plate. You can complain if you're a Yankee fan about the fact that the Green Monster cost Stanton two home runs, and it did, hit absolutely two rockets, one of which uh, John Sterling was sure that ball was out. It was an unbelievable call if you haven't heard it. But it's more about the fact that the Yankees team just isn't a balanced team offensively. Brett Gardner's done. Yankee fans, you can love this guy all you want. He can't play in center field next year. Aaron Hicks will be back, but Aaron Hicks is only an average center fielder. If you're going to play Stanton and left, which to me, you probably should, because then you could use Luke Voigt as your DH if he's healthy. He wasn't healthy this year. You've got two-thirds of your outfield settled with Stanton and Judge and Wright. The Joey Gallo experiment has come and gone. Gallo just simply isn't good enough to warrant re-signing him. He's he's just strikes out too often. You've got guys who can hit home runs. If you're going to spend money this offseason to re-sign somebody, make it Anthony Rizzo, who's very good defensively. He's a key left-handed bat. He did have a solo home run last night, so... He's somebody who I think you build around. But the two key, well, there's three key positions that need to be upgraded. I think with Cole, Severino, Montgomery, Tyone, and Kluber, you've got enough starting pitching. The bullpen's got depth. 
especially as long as Jonathan Loisega remains healthy. He's a closer in waiting. He's really good. There's enough pitching on this team to win. But with nothing from your catching position, it's time to move on from Gary Sanchez. you got to get somebody there who can be better. You've got nothing at shortstop now that you've moved Gleyber Torres to second, and I'm in favor of that move. Go get somebody. If you're going to spend this offseason to bring somebody in, spend it shortstop. Go get a Seager, a Story, a Korea. There are great players available, and all you have to do is write a check. The Yankees, they have the resources to do so, and you got to go get an outfielder. You've got to get an everyday outfielder who will make this team better through one through nine in the lineup. There's a lot of work to be done for the Yankees in this offseason. And it's just a lot of Yankee fans are going to be extremely disappointed by the end of the season. The reality is I don't think this team was good enough to get things done anyway. So there's that. The Cards Brewers tonight should be a really good I'm sorry the Cards Dodgers tonight should be really good Cardinals been playing great they won 15 in a row towards the end of September to get into the playoffs the Dodgers I think the best 1 through 26 team in baseball they've got great talent everywhere Max Scherzer gets the gets the ball tonight going to be a fun game to watch in that one We'll see who comes out of the National League, but a team to keep an eye on. And I think this is one of those teams that people overlook is the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers have very good defensive team. They are a, a solid hitting team. They don't have any sexy superstars offensively, but they have enough Balance that they can make things interesting. But what they have is depth at starting pitching. Three guys, Woodruff, Peralta, and, and Burns, all have sub three ERAs for this team and all have the ability to go deep into games. You couple that with Josh Hader, who in my opinion is the best closer in baseball right now. He's a guy who can give you multiple innings as well. He is nasty, nasty left-handed pitcher. I think the Brewers are a real threat to come out of the National League and get to the World Series. So something to keep an eye on there. NBA training camps are open, and the discussion in Brooklyn is not about how good the Nets can be this year. It is about whether or not Kyrie Irving is going to be part of that team and how do you handle him. In New York City, you have to be vaccinated to play in the games. And unfortunately for Kyrie, he chooses not to be vaccinated. And I'm not going to get into the whole political part of that discussion because I just, my opinion is my opinion, your opinion is your opinion. But Kyrie has chosen not to get a vaccine because of that. He will not be allowed to practice or play in any games or practices held in New York City. So what do the Nets do? Do they save them just for away games? Do they decide to move their practice facility to accommodate Kyrie, which I think is absurd? Do they move on from Kyrie? Maybe not a bad idea. The thing is, with Kevin Durant and James Harden, you've got two players, in my opinion, that are good enough to get you out of the Eastern Conference Finals. Rewind to last year. 
they lost to Game 7 to Milwaukee after a three-point shot was ruled a two by Kevin Durant, and they lost Game 7 in overtime because of that. And Milwaukee goes on to win, and not only win that series, win the championship. That was a series played with James Harden at about 70%. He, he wasn't healthy at all. Joe Harris didn't make a shot, I don't think, the entire series. So you've got players in-house who are capable of getting it done, but did not get it done last year. I don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving, but if I'm the Nets, i got to be sick of thinking exactly that statement. What's going to happen with Kyrie Irving? When can Kyrie just show up and play? When does that happen, and does it ever happen? The big three will never happen, in my opinion, with Kyrie because I just don't think he cares enough about basketball to want to make it happen. So if I'm Brooklyn, I'm I'm looking possibly to move on from Kyrie. The Sabres' attendance is an interesting issue. Last week, the Sabres had a preseason game. And while you're not going to sell out a preseason game, you would expect to have more than like 20 people in attendance at Harbor Center. Well, it wasn't 20 people. It may have been 2,000. May have been. In a 20,000-seat arena, that looks like 20 people. The Sabres announced somewhere in the neighborhood of 6,000 people showed up, and that was like the minor league baseball announcing crowd where they count season tickets sold, not used. So while the actual attendance may have been like 1,800, the announced attendance around 6,000 shows that the Sabres season ticket base is only at 6,000. Now, many years ago, the Pagulas, when they first bought the team, made the erroneous business decision to raise the season ticket limit, which under the Galisano regime was around 13000 raising that to 16000 which cost the franchise money, actually, because the individual tickets were sold at tiers that allowed the team to make more money on certain games. So that's why the Galisano administration had capped the season ticket list at 13,000. I should say season tickets sold at 13,000. They had an extensive list beyond that, that they would charge people money to get on and stay on that list. And then if somebody backed out, you have the opportunity to buy season tickets. Well, when the Pagulas bought it, they decided, Ted Black decided it was a good idea to raise that to 16,000 season tickets sold, which again, it's okay to have 16,000 season tickets, but you're costing yourself money through the business practice. But the real point here is that when the Pagulas bought it, year one, they had 16,000 season tickets. Now here we are in year 10, they have 6,000. They've lost 10,000 season ticket holders in 10 years. You want to talk about inept. That's the definition of inept. It is a sinking boat. And with the border closed this year, people aren't, again, going to be able to come from Toronto to see the games that they want to see there. It's really a bad situation in Buffalo and only going to get worse. This week, it was announced that another golf match is coming this way. As somebody who loves golf, I'm done with these matches. These are made-for-TV things that have been fun in the past. And during the pandemic, 
when we were desperate to watch things, they were great. But this week it was announced that rivals Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau were going to play a match against each other in Vegas in November. A 12-hole match. 12 holes. Why 12 holes? Because it's a made-for-TV thing, and we can only have our attention span last for 12 holes. Now, look, two guys playing the match, should this should be a three-hour television event. If two guys, especially two guys as good as Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kapka, can't go out and play 18 holes in three hours, I don't understand why. But a 12-hole match? Ridiculous. Talk about bastardizing your sport. I see nothing good. Oh, and these matches lack one element. These guys are paid to show up and play. The winner is going to get more money. The problem is they're paid to show up and play. If each put up a million dollars and they played for that, it would be really interesting and compelling golf. But because one of them is going to walk away with a million, the other one's going to walk away with probably a couple hundred thousand that they got paid to sign up for this, nobody loses. It's not interesting to me. Notre Dame lost last week to Cincinnati, and Notre Dame football was a team that many people were looking at for the playoff and as as an alternative to get in. Alabama and Georgia are the best two teams in college football. They will be there at the end. I'm confident of that. Those two teams will be there. Ohio State's trending like they're going to be there. Cincinnati's a team that should get an opportunity to be there. Penn State should be a team at the end that gets a a long look. But don't forget about Notre Dame. Yes, they've got a loss, and yes, it wasn't a loss that many people will look at as a good loss because they don't respect Cincinnati. But Cincinnati's a top 10 program this year, and they're very good. ND is going to run the table. Their schedule for the rest of this year is as weak as weak can get. Check this out. Remember this, too, that the ACC is very much a down conference this year. Virginia Tech is an unranked team. They're they're okay, but they're an unranked team, and they're not very good. The USC is the following week. USC isn't and Notre Dame's on a bye this week, so they get to fix some things. USC ha- may have one of the worst teams they've had in the last fifteen years, and there haven't been a lot of great years post Pete Carroll in at USC. Then they play Carolina. Navy, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Stanford. And Stanford's down big time this year. It's just an easy schedule for Notre Dame. They should run the table, come out of this with only one loss, and their team at the end, when you sit down and try to figure out that fourth team, whether it's a one-loss Penn State team, possibly a team that, like Penn State, doesn't get through their conference schedule unscathed, I could see that being part of the discussion. Cincinnati being part of the discussion because they'll likely run the table as well. You've got a one-loss Notre Dame team in Cincinnati. Look, Cincinnati beat Notre Dame, but it's a TV show. Who's going to put more eyeballs on the product? It wouldn't shock me if Notre Dame gets in. So keep an eye on that as we go forward. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll talk next week. Have a great one. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.